This is episode 90 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on June 4th, 2021. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. In the interview, I speak with Jean Becker about the recent painful discovery of a mass grave at a former residential school in Kamloops, B.C., We discuss implications for reconciliation and the work of Jean and her colleagues in Indigenous Initiatives at Waterloo. A reminder that new episodes come out every week, so you can find our archive of past shows and helpful links on SoundCloud.com. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Wow, here we are at episode 90. Yes, can you believe it? It is hard to believe. But, but th- for those of you listening, thank you for hanging in there with us. <laughs> yes, we really do appreciate it. Uh, and people should keep listening because in the coming weeks, we'll have news of a contest and prizes to celebrate 100 episodes of Beyond the Bulletin. I don't know if they should be, you know, prizes or compensation for putting up with us for 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we can't give them back their time. That's right. But, but we can you. give them gift cards. <laughs> That's right. Well, we and thank you for the gift of your time. We've appreciated it. So here's what's been happening. The news that broke late last week regarding the discovery of the remains of 215 Indigenous children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School has had an impact across the country with an outpouring of grief and calls for action. The university lowered its flags joining federal, provincial, and municipal buildings across the country in memory of the children who died at the residential school. President Ferdinand Hamdelopper also released a statement on social media saying that the university joined the nation in mourning. He said it's a stark and horrifying reminder of the importance of advancing the goals of the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action. And let us continue this work as we mourn and honor these children. May their families and communities find closure and peace. The Indigenous Initiatives Office has provided resources, including an overview of the Indian residential school system, and Campus Wellness has collected a number of supports and resources for Indigenous students, as well as those affected by this news. We'll put the links in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. This week marks the 12th anniversary of National Indigenous History Month, which started in 2009 with the passing of a unanimous motion in the House of Commons. In June, we celebrate and honor the history, heritage, and diversity of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples in Canada. Indigenous peoples' vast contributions, both past and present, shape Canada, and this month is a time for all Canadians to learn about, appreciate, and acknowledge these immense contributions. Turning to other news, our communities, both internal and external, had an opportunity to celebrate President Ferdinand Hamdelopper's decade of impact at two special virtual events on May 27th and May 31st. An event for alumni, partners, and friends from around the world took place May 27th and featured remarks from former Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, the Honourable Navdeep Baines, Alumni Council Chair Megan Kimball, and Sir Jim McDonald, Principal and Vice-Chancellor of the University of Strathclyde, among many others. 
On May 31st, students, faculty, staff, and retirees gathered virtually to celebrate. Speakers included Cindy Forbes, chair of the university's Board of Governors, the university's chancellor, Dominic Barton, and former president of the University of Waterloo and former Governor General of Canada, the Right Honorable David Johnston, among many other distinguished guests. Fairden also gave some personal reflections about his time at Waterloo. As part of the celebration, President Hamdalopper was presented with a special Waterloo Warrior soccer jersey emblazoned with the number six, what with him being the sixth president and all. And there was a special announcement. The Fieldhouse will be named in his honor. The Fairden Fieldhouse? Well, you could call it the FHFH or FH squared, if you'd like. I'm not sure <laughs> what the official, what the official uh, short form will be, but I'm sure it'll be quite fitting. I like Fairden Fieldhouse. It's a fitting tribute because he really championed its construction for student athletics and recreation. Indeed. Farrington Fieldhouse of Fun. I don't know. We need yeah. a lot of Fs. We like alliteration. We do. We love, or uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of an alliteration, but I'm not going to because I can't do it on the spot. <laughs> we also have news about fall orientation. Surprise, surprise, it will run virtually from Monday, August 30th to Friday, September 3rd, 2021, which is earlier than usual this year. Like last year, the Waterloo Grad Ready program will replace the traditional campus-wide graduate orientation program. The Student Success Office will be working with the Graduate Student Association, Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs teams, and faculty colleagues, building on the already successful Grad Ready program. This program will help students to meet one another, connect with their program contacts, and build a strong graduate student community. Also in its second year, the Waterloo Ready program will ensure that undergraduate students have access to a wide range of resources and have many opportunities for engagement with their classmates and peer mentors throughout the pre-arrival period of June through August. June through August? That's where we are. And with that in mind, here's what's coming up. The School of Public Health and Health Systems with the, I'm not sure if we've ever really used the acronym SPHHS, so no, I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced. Anyhow, the School of Public Health and Health Systems has announced that their name has officially changed to the School of Public Health Sciences, SPHS, as of June 1st. The SPHS website now reflects this update and social media platforms will follow in the coming weeks. Most instances of the new name should be updated by September 1st. Swiss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, also, June is bike month, and with the warm weather hopefully here to stay, you can't tell, but I'm crossing my fingers, uh, you can hop on your bike to enjoy the many benefits that cycling has to offer, and at the same time, help the planet. The Sustainability Office is running its annual Bike Month event. Between June 1st and June 30th, you can take part by sharing a cycling photo or your favorite cycling story for a chance to win some great prizes. So wear a helmet and happy cycling. We'll put the link to the Bike Month 2021 contest in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. And now the interview. Last month, the remains of 215 children buried in a mass grave were discovered at the site of the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Opening in 1890, it was once the largest residential school in the country. The federal government took it over from the Catholic Church in 1969, and it closed in 1978. This week, the federal government announced that it will distribute $27 million in funding to assist Indigenous communities in finding children who died at residential schools. This money was included in the 2019 budget. Jean Becker is the Senior Director of Indigenous Initiatives and the Interim Associate Vice President of Human Rights, Equity, and Inclusion at Waterloo. 
She joins Pamela to discuss the discovery of the children's remains, the effects on truth and reconciliation, and where to go from here. Jean, welcome back. Thank you, Pamela. Many people across Canada, indeed across the world, are shocked and saddened by this tragic discovery in Kamloops. What did you think when you heard? Well, I have to say I wasn't shocked. I wasn't even surprised. This is not something that we haven't known for a very long time. You know, I have friends who were in residential schools, and um, I've heard the stories. I've read um, the testimonials from the Truth and Reconciliation Report. And um, if you've learned anything about the residential schools, this this really isn't a very shocking um, or unexpected but I, I was saddened. I was saddened that, um, I'm partly saddened that, that it's shocking for so many Canadians because it indicates we still have a lot of work to do in terms of the truth part of reconciliation. Because the survivors did talk about this. Yes. Uh, The Honourable Murray Sinclair, Chair of the Indian Residential School Truth and Reconciliation Commission, has spoken out, and he's reminded us that we know of 3,200 children who died at residential schools. Those are the ones we know about. But the number is likely to be much higher. And to add to that tragedy, their families were never informed, and they were never returned home. They just didn't come back, and nobody knew why. They didn't have a ceremony or a proper burial. So what do you think needs to happen now? I think that the federal government needs to do what um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked for when when they discovered this fact during their hearings. This was uncovered then, and that's, you know, back in somewhere between 2010 and 15. So I think that the government now needs to put the resources into place and begin the investigation. And and they need to do the investigation thoroughly, properly. They, it needs to be um, continued until we have answers about those 3,200 that we know died in those schools. And and we need to look for, you know, the causes of those deaths. This is all possible with today's technology, and, and it, we need to commit to it, and we need to make sure that it happens this time. When you talk about doing what the the Truth and Reconciliation uh, says or the calls to action, I think you're talking about, I just saw this recently called Action Number 74. We call upon the federal government to work with the churches and Aboriginal community leaders to inform the families of children who died at residential schools of the child's burial location and to respond to families' wishes for appropriate commemoration ceremonies and markers and reburial in home communities where requested. So it's yes, there. It's there, and um, but it needs to go beyond beyond simply 
those particular 3,200. It needs mm-hmm. there, there needs to be they need to to do the however how whatever technology was used that found the 215. Mm-hmm. That that technology needs to be employed around all of the residential schools. Ground penetrating radar. Yeah, that's the technology that they're using, and and um, so that that needs to take place. The I know that the um, residential school in Brantford, the Mohawk Institute, mm-hmm. they have been doing some of this work over a number of years, and there's still work to be done. So. Um, this, this work should be properly resourced and, and conducted. So there were more than 150 of these residential schools in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so far, 28 burial sites have been located. But, yes. I mean, do the math. Yes. Uh, and that's we know the history. Few. Yes. Yeah, that's a very small amount. I heard today there's, there is a, um, at least one of the schools, which is no longer there, has been turned into some kind of a park or playground or something where children today are playing on that site. And, you know, the, the idea that they're playing on top of children who were who were lost in such horrific circumstances, I think, is really disturbing. Where is that? Do you know? I don't know. I I heard a part of this report on CBC today. I just okay. know that there are circumstances that, you know, we need to understand. We need to know what's there. We need to we need to be clear that in fact underneath that playground there isn't the graves of, of other children who who have been forgotten, you know. We need to remember. This is really what this is about for me, is we need to remember. Well, Chief Mark Hill from Six Nations of the Grand River has called for the federal government to conduct a radar scan, so using that ground-penetrating radar that located these 215 children in Kamloops, uh, he would like them to use that technology uh, at the former Mohawk Institute uh, to know whether there is a mass grave there as well, as well as other sites, not just there. He's calling on it for for every all of them. He said, quote, the federal government must provide the means to help us locate the rest of our missing children whose lives were lost because of the government's actions. Yes. Well, after that, through Carolyn Bennett, Minister of Crown, Indigenous Relations and Northern Affairs, the federal government announced that it was going to make $27 million available urgently to help Indigenous communities search for burial sites and memorialize the children. What do you think of this announcement? I'm, I'm happy that it is happening. It was in the 2019 federal budget. It was part of a larger pot of money, $33.8 million, that was to address uh, certain uh, calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation um, Commission report. That's correct. So um, understandably, I think the the government is now coming under quite a bit of criticism for um, why wasn't it released when it was promised? And um, I, I think the answer that I read anyway was that they weren't ready 
to release it. So um, I don't know what it takes to get ready to to release funds. So so I I can't comment on that. I can only mm. say I'm very happy that uh, uh, they're ready now, and and the work will get done. And um, I hope that the process is set up in such a way that the communities can access the money and and actually, you know, get this process underway so that we mm. can get the truth. Um, the work that was done in Kamloops could give us some indication of mm -hmm. whether it's enough money or not, but there's a lot of sites Many of the sites are are no longer there. The the schools themselves were destroyed, and in some cases, other things have been built over those sites. So, I, I have no idea, you know, how what what kind of technical problems will arise in in regard to um, actually being able to make sure that every one of the sites is examined. So we should prepare for the discovery of more of these mass yeah. graves. That was such a poignant part of uh, the Honorable Murray Sinclair's statement when he said, um, prepare yourselves, there's, there's more to come. Are people contacting you at all to discuss? Yes, I mean, I'm, I've been... You know, this is my home. This is my community. I'm Inuk. I, I was born and grew up in the north in um, Nanatsiavut in Labrador. But I have lived here for a very long time, over 40 years. So I'm, I'm very embedded in the Indigenous community in this region. I've, I've done a lot of you know, community work and, and work with especially women's groups mm -hmm. throughout the years I've been here. And so, yes, people have been calling and just needing to talk and needing to share and needing to express, you know, their sorrow and their, sometimes their anger, sometimes just, just the devastation, you know, of, um, having heard this news. It makes it so present and real and, um, and, and immediate for people right now, you know. What effect could this have on reconciliation efforts? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I felt before this happened that we're, we're not at the reconciliation part yet. Mm. We're, we're still in the truth part. And I think mm. that, um, you know, that's very evident with the shock and the um, surprise that people are feeling to hear that, that you know, a number of children are buried there. It, um, Just the fact that they're shocked means that they didn't know, and and this is this is news. So that means that there's still a great deal of of um, information that people just don't have yet. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this is evidence that we need to deal with the truth and we need to know the truth. And, mm-hmm. and this is, you know, why the investigation is so important. We need to know what happened. We need to be able, not only for the families um, that, you know, suffered those losses, we need to know, the country needs to know. The truth part, too, is people need to believe the survivors. I mean, there were horrific yeah. things that were uh, horrific things given in testimony to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and people now are seeing that that stuff happened. It wasn't yes. somebody telling tales, and that's exactly. part of it. Do you think that this could be a turning point? I hope that it is a turning point. I hope that it is a another movement forward, just as, you know, the TRC itself was, was a, a movement forward, the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women. But if, if the response falls short, then the opportunity will be lost. It's an opportunity for us. But if we if if we don't seize it and if action isn't taken, it won't make a difference. Right. There's a momentum right now with yeah. yes. pe- people talking about it. It's you know the top item in the news still and in social media feeds and yes, yeah. and you know that is doesn't last very long. Well, the Honorable Murray Sinclair says that we're at a different point of maturity in this story. Yes, we've learned I mean, more, we've felt more, we've cried more, we've felt ashamed more. I feel ashamed that a government took certain actions in my name. That's how I feel. I don't even feel comfortable saying that because it isn't about us and our feelings anyway. Maybe we need to talk about the things we need to do. And I'm not going to ask you because I don't think that it's fair to put the onus on you to say, what can we do, people who are non-Indigenous? So I've got some suggestions. Thank you. <laughs> I've got some suggestions. And you tell me if I'm on the right track if you want and feel free to add if you would like. People could write their federal representative, their MP, yes. uh, and the prime minister. And uh, perhaps your MPP, because education falls under provincial jurisdiction. So, I mean, I don't recall ever learning about residential schools when I was a child. I was in university, I think, before I heard about it. There's quite a a number of really good books that have been written um, to use in discussions with young children that discussions that are appropriate to their age and their Mm -hmm. uh, level of understanding. So I I actually think that elementary school is where it could begin or should begin. And then, you know, throughout schooling and in, and certainly at post-secondary, we should be, we should be leaders in, bringing this into curriculum, into the education. Most universities don't yet have courses on residential schools, but this is something that the T, this is one of the recommendations of the TRC is, is to make sure that we have that curriculum in school mm. system. 
Um, anyway, the onus is on us. The onus is on us to find a solution. And, you know, we yeah. could go to look at the displays of all of the moccasins, for instance, at the Mohawk Institute. Yes. Um, which, oh, the former Mohawk Institute, I should say do something that's relevant and helpful now and it might be demanding adherence to the the 94 calls to action in the truth and reconciliation commission and we could at least read them and be aware of what we should be expecting our government to do and if you read the the report itself then it will give you a better understanding of of what those schools were and what they were what they were doing and why they are still having an impact in our communities today even after they've all been closed now um, I think the last one closed in 1996 but um, there's no question that even you know my children my grandchildren have some impact from what happened in those schools. Does this discovery affect your the direction of your work? At Waterloo, we're really just beginning to, to establish an indigenization strategy and um, to develop it in, into something that will be impactful across the entire campus. So we're doing a lot of work to establish the Indigenous initiatives and an indigenization decolonization strategy. And, and really, we're at the very beginning of, of doing it. I don't know that this will impact it, but hopefully it will bring more awareness to what we're doing. And, and mostly it will bring more awareness, I hope, to why we're doing it. Um, but I think that this, this really will help to highlight the importance of the work and the, the absolute um, imperative for Waterloo as well as all other post-secondary institutions to make sure that this work is carrying on and that it's being being done in a really good way. And you have something very special coming up. We are having an event on June the 29th at 1 p.m. Um, with the Honorable Murray Sinclair. He's a, he's a very powerful speaker to begin with, but his experience, you know, through all the years of his career is um, invaluable in terms of understanding Indigenous issues. And, and he's such a, a positive and, and uh, kind spirit, you know. He, he, really, he really makes a difference when he speaks. So I'm really excited that he's agreed to, um, to do this event with us. Well, and to help people register for the event, we will put a link to it in our show notes on SoundCloud. Awesome. So people just go there and they click on it and then they can register. Great. Thank you so much. Now, that event is part of Indigenous History Month. Yes. Right? Recognize Indigenous History Month. And now, how do you feel about the fact that we have an Indigenous History Month? I mean, given Canada's 
history with its indigenous people, is it appropriate to have a month? Isn't it every day? Yeah, you're right. It's every day. But I would say that given the the lack of knowledge, I mean, people are still saying, some people are still saying what's a residential school. There are those of us who do do know and maybe know quite a bit about about the residential schools and and the overall history of the colonization of Canada. There are still a lot of people who know nothing about it, even though it's as you said, it should be every day. Um, it isn't every day, and it may be never. But maybe if there is, you know, this month that we've designated and we put out special effort and special emphasis on Indigenous issues that perhaps will attract a few more people to um, think about these things and and to try and um, interest people in educating themselves in in the matter because you know there's only so much you can do with a an hour talk or mm-hmm. um, you know an event of any sort really it's all intended to interest people in further investigations so that people will read a bit they'll mm-hmm. watch some films there there's so many amazing indigenous authors and filmmakers today and artists you know it's uh, such a rich time for us in so many ways and there's so much available Our, another event we're having actually in June is um, we're doing an hour with an Inuk opera singer, oh. the only Inuk opera singer in Canada as far as we know, as far as she knows. The, this is an exciting event for us too to wow. celebrate her and, and her, um, her career. Fantastic. It, there's obviously a performance aspect as well. As yes, talk. she's going to sing as well as um, we'll do an interview with her. Her name is Deantha Edmonds. Deantha's event is a noon event on June the 21st. National. Oh, on National Indigenous People's Indigenous Day. Indigenous People's Day, oh. yeah. Well, we'll put a link to that event in our show notes as well. I will <laughs> definitely be there. I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> She now, sings in an octatut. Oh, wow. Yeah. What else do you want people to know? What other points did you want to make, Jean? I think the biggest thing I would say is in regard to the discovery at Kamloops is, you know, um, you mentioned earlier when you, you were speaking that you feel shame and, um, you know, probably guilt regret whatever and I think I think to non-indigenous people I would want to say you know that I understand that sort of feeling would come and and um, people would feel helpless you know when you feel ashamed you can also become very defensive and and that can lead to denial so I think that you know, Shame and guilt are are not 
useful. Mm -hmm. They're not useful um, responses. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to, if you want to um, do something, the things that you already mentioned are are really good, good ways of um, showing the people who are able to make some changes that you care. And um, I think that, you know, making sure that as individuals, we we do learn and understand and and um, go through that growth that uh, you know dealing with your own sense of shame or guilt requires. That that's what people can do that that will help help them to reach a place where they can be effective mm-hmm. voices to to um, to make a difference in how things are done in the future. And you know, for for me, the the uh, fact that for so many years there's been denial publicly and and uh, just generally there's been denial of these things. As you said, you know, some of the stories are so horrific you can't even believe that they could possibly happen. Well, they did happen, and you know, we are still feeling the effects of, of those things. So I think that ending denial and confronting these truths is so important. Agreed. Jean, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. Stay safe, everyone, and remember to do your part to limit the spread of COVID-19 in our community. Please get in touch with us via email at bulletin.uwaterloo.ca. As always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. So the uh, 100th episode contests... I think it needs to be uh, prove you listen to the podcast because those are the people who really deserve a prize. <laughs> That's right. If you've opened the podcast and listened to, to more than two minutes at full volume, we salute you. Uh, we, we hope that you would listen to the whole thing. Yes. And especially the interviews that Pamela does such a great job on. <laughs> are you buttering me up? Perhaps. I have no prizes for you. Oh, 